All right. Two weeks ago, before Pastor Peter and Phoebe came, we talked about love. It's all about love. And we looked at one of the mysteries that we saw about Jesus and the stories that we see about Jesus is his strange attraction to the unattractive. A desire for the undesirable and a love for the unlovely. And in these eyewitness accounts, we see that Jesus spent a disproportionate amount of time with those people labeled the poor, the sick, the blind, the lame, the leper. The outcast, the downtrodden, the burdened, the sinner, the tax collector, the little ones, the last, or the least of these. And it's easy for us to get up a fleeting emotion, you know, just to be moved, maybe shed a tear of emotion, seeing the hurting, but never getting our hands dirty. But motion, but emotion with motion, or love with action. Now we're talking about compassionate love. And compassionate love is the crux of the Christian movement and the only sign by which Jesus said that people will be able to tell whether you're his followers. Do you hear that? The only sign that we can show that we are a follower of of Christ is how the world sees us. They'll know you are Christians by your love. Amen. We got a long way to go, don't we? Can people tell you're a Christian without you talking about Christ? That's what I'm talking about. It's easy for someone to know they're a Christian when I walk walk up and say, hey, I'm a Christian. But by the way that I treat them, by the way that I act around them, by the way that it comes out of me, what is oozing out of me? What is it telling them? Can they tell I'm a Christian? I can say I'm a Christian and them not believe me. But what's really in me? You know the, the Gatorade commercial, is it in you? And you know they're sweating out green and orange. And is, is God in you? Because it should show. It should show. But I think we need to not just feel a fleeting emotion of love. I think we need to learn to love the way that we see God loved. And here's what I think we'll find. That if I'm secure in the fact that God loves me, no matter what, then I can love me no matter what, and I can love my neighbor no matter what. If I'm secure in the fact that God loves me no matter what I do, then I can love me no matter what. And if I can love me no matter what, I can love my neighbor No matter what. And sometimes we skip the obvious. It's not always the easiest question to ask. But what if you discover who needs your love the most? The one to whom would be the most meaningful for your love. What if you discovered that the least of these is you? Many here are not poor when it comes to economic or financial needs. But many are poor in spirit. And you look at this phrase... Love your neighbor as yourself. And you know what? We see this scripture in Matthew twenty two thirty nine, And just in the natural, what jumps off the page? Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor. But look what gets less left out. As yourself. As yourself. I can't love you if I don't love me. 
Before I'm asked to show compassion in my brother and sister's lives, in their hurting and suffering needs, I'm asked to show compassion in my own life, in my own hurt and suffering. I can't be compassionate with you if I can't be compassionate with me. You know, I've, I've taught on this two straight weeks. Not, it's not, it, it hadn't hit me until right then. Because I honestly, in the natural, struggle with compassion. I think I struggle with compassion in me. Don't anybody answer, but who here is harder on yourself than anybody else? My problem is, what gives me the right to be so hard on myself? Is God this hard on me? The whole point of today is, what is your picture of God? And you just happen to see me walk through this in front of you. But you know what? Sometimes we need to stop and think just a minute. What is God saying? I can't be compassionate with you if I can't be compassionate with me. Because typically, typically we view other people based on how we view ourselves. When I'm hardest on myself, I'm most critical of other people. When I'm judgmental of myself, I'm more critical of other people. Have you ever noticed that when people are ugly to you, normally it's because of what they're going through? Not because of the situation that just happened, but what they're walking in. They can't be compassionate with you because they can't be compassionate with themselves. When I'm hardest on myself, I'm most critical with other people. I can't truly love myself when I don't truly know God. Did you hear that? I can't truly love myself when I don't truly know God. Now, if you've accepted Christ, but you're struggling to accept yourself, I'm not trying to threaten your salvation. I want to ask you or I want to speak into your life and say, I think you've got the wrong picture of God. I don't believe you're not saved. Yes, I believe you're saved. But I believe that we've got the wrong image of God. Because here's the deal. If, the, if how we love others is based on how we picture ourselves, then how we love ourselves is based on our picture of God. Don't let this go over your head. I think, that, I think that the Lord can really speak to you today if you'll allow it. It's like what my mother, the word that she had this morning, that perfect love casts out all fear. Are you living in fear? If you are, the love of God is absent. Because perfect love casts out all fear. Well, I want you to know the love of God's going to be released on you today. Those of you that are battling fear, we've got the remedy for it. It's not some potion and it's not some pill and it's not some self-help tape. It is God. God is love. You get the genuine article in you and fear has to go. It has to. So I want to encourage you. Those of you battling fear, we're going to deal with it today. Woo! Freedom. 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 It's not the song I was thinking. But it works. What's your view of God? I think your view of God is too small. Mine is because we try to wrap our finite mind around an infinite 
God. And so we put him in some convenient box that makes him comfortable to us. Don't raise your hand, but how many people get uncomfortable when the girls start dancing up here? You know what? At first, even as your pastor, when my girls are dancing, I get a little bit uncomfortable just in the flesh. I think, oh, they think my kids are trying to show a do something. No, they're not. They're, we're just letting them go. And I don't want to steal Bill Olinghouse's word, but I believe he's got a word where he says those, those kids are not childish. They are childlike. I hope he'll preach on that sometime. They are not childish. They are childlike. Free us, Lord. What is your view of God? Let us not put you in that convenient box. It's too small for God. Some of you picture God as only loving the workaholic in a capitalistic America, while others think that God only loves the poor and underprivileged. Or there's the God who marches with victorious armies, while others view God to only be the meek who turn the other cheek. But then there's the picture of God in the Bible. The God who calls sinners. That includes everyone. He didn't come to save those that had it together. He came to save those that didn't. The thing is, the people that think they have it all together are probably worse off than those that think they don't have it all together. That's deep. Those that think they know it all are in worse shape than those that know they don't know it all. That's a word for somebody right there. According to Romans, it's everyone. What's your view of God? Here's why it's so important. That if I'm a Christ follower and my goal is to look like Christ, and that's what Christian means, little Christ. If my goal is to look like Christ, but I have the wrong picture of who he is, all of a sudden, I'm aiming at the wrong target. You know, if you're going to, if you're going to the moon and you're off by just a fraction, you're going to miss it by thousands of miles. If you're just barely off. I feel like the Lord is bringing not even not even a firm hand, but a corrective hand in saying you're not completely off. You just need a little correction. And those that hate correction are a fool. And you know what? My whole life has been rejecting correction. You know, all that does for me, it just labels me. I'm a fool. I don't want to be a fool. Well, that means I, somebody's got to die, and that somebody's going to have to be me. Do I want to get on track or not? If I'm going to get on track, means I'm off track, means I need corrected. Praise God, God's a great corrector. But I believe he's bringing a correction. I believe he's shown us grace this month. He is showing us love this month. He's showing us that we do not have the right picture of him. I don't think we're totally wrong. But we've learned on authority that 95% obedience is still disobedience. 95% obedient isn't obedient. You got to come on Wednesday night to know where I'm going with that. But I'm not going to, I'm way out of time as it is. 95, I'm going to say it again, 95% obedient is not obedient. I think that's kind of bouncing off of you. It's all right. I'm going to just move on. 
If my goal is to look like Christ, but I have the wrong picture of who Christ is, all of a sudden I got the wrong target. Let me, let me put it in another frame. If my goal is to look like Brad Pitt. Now you've already heard this sermon, Stephen. What are you laughing at? I think he was ready for that one. If my goal is to look like Brad Pitt, then I'm not going to dress like Tom Hanks. I'm not going to look at Bill Clinton pictures and I'm not going to watch SpongeBob movies. Amen. (laughs) But doing those things are not going to get me to look and act like Brad Pitt. If my goal is to look like the true biblical person of Jesus, but I don't have the right picture of who Jesus is, I will never look like the true Jesus. Do you picture God as Abba, Father? You know what that means. It means Daddy. You know, there is something melting about a child saying, Daddy. It's different than Dad. Dad's just a little bit more separated. It's okay, but I love Daddy. Daddy is just the way a child speaks to a daddy, a dad. They grow up and they say, Dad. But think about you thinking and seeing God as your daddy. Do you see how, as a father, how pleasing it is to to relate to your children as your babies? Don't we miss those days? (laughs) Am I talking to humans? I miss those days. I've got my my youngest is six. So we're already kind of graduating out of certain things. But something that still melts me is daddy. You want to get my attention? Daddy, keep daddy. Even when you're an adult, daddy. She's already our third adult in our family. She's about to be 13 years old, and we already consider her our, the third adult in our family in, uh, anyway. Um, she acts older than me normally. <laughs> and that's not an exaggeration. That's the truth. Boy, we're just hilarious this morning. (laughs) Do you know the God? Do you picture God who loves you unconditionally to the core of his being, who extends his grace to you? Or have you learned to be afraid of God? Do you think of God as the judge, the spy, the disciplinarian, the mean guy upstairs with a magnifying glass and you're the ant? I know you felt like that. In love, John says, there can be no fear, for fear is driven out by perfect love. Fear has to do with punishment, and anyone who is afraid is still imperfect in love. We've got to correct our view of God and see it through a holistic view of Scripture. We need a new relationship With the father that drives out fear and mistrust and guilt and replaces it with hope and joy and trust. God loves you. God loves you. And here's some of the pitfalls that we've got to get past. The first is to think that we can outrun God's grace. Because God loves you in an an inexplicable way, he extends his grace to you. And a definition of grace is that we get what we don't deserve. When we accept Jesus, a transaction takes place that cleans our slate. 
At that point, when I clock out of this world and into the next, I can know with full confidence that I will spend an eternity with God in heaven. Because God said to this to the Israelites in Isaiah, He said, I will never forget you because I have carved your name in the palm of my hands. There is no undoing carving. You can fill it with a false thing, but not with God. There is no undoing. When God says, I will never forget you, for I have carved you in the palm of my hand. There is nothing that you can do to take that away. You can't tell one lie too many. You can't gossip one time too many. You can't cheat one time too many. You can't yell at your mom and dad, at your brother or your sister one time too many. You can't have one too many impure thoughts that feels like takes you over the line of God's grace. Why? You can't do it because God loves you. Because God lo- God's love loves and God is love. The Bible doesn't say maybe God is love. Perhaps God is love. It would be great if God is love. But it makes it very clear that God is love. And that picture of the Bible that the Bible paints of the love of God is that God is madly in love with you. Let that sink in. He is madly in love with you and that he can't stand to be without you. A picture of the Bible that comes to mind is the prodigal, the prodigal son. And it's so many times we allow the story to what sticks out to the story is the sin of the son. But we miss the love of the father. The beauty and the forgiveness of the father. In the story, we got a son who wanted more. He was done with where he was. He wanted more. He said to dad, dad, I want my inheritance right now. Can you imagine going to your father and asking for that? I want my inheritance right now. And the father's saying, okay, here it is. And what does he do? He takes off, goes to Sin City, squanders it all, and finds himself in the pig pen. We all know the story. And he's laying there. Eating the food of the pigs. Probably even the leftovers of what the pigs got. And he says, the servants at my daddy's house has it better than me. I'm going to get up and go home. And I'm going to try to make things right with my father. Everybody ready? Everybody know the story? So, the son's heading home. He's coming in on the scene. And the father sees the son in the distance. Now, before we get too far ahead, for the father to have been looking for him, don't you assume that he was looking every day? That the father was looking every day. How come he just happened to be looking today and there he was? No, the father was looking for him. And when he saw him, what did he do? He ran. Not the son. The son didn't run. The daddy ran. And the son's there saying, oh, daddy, this is what's happened. And I just want, and he's trying to get it out what he wants to do. And the father says, "Ah." puts the robe on him, puts a ring on him, says, son, I've killed the cow. I've called the band. We're about to have a party. You don't have to say anything else. The son was willing to take a lower place. The daddy didn't even let him get it out. Now, I want you to catch this. The son was a son. 
the son was a son, but he went out and got nasty. This is a picture for us as Christians. We come in here nasty and think, I'm not good enough to even come back to God. God's standing there looking for you. He is longing for your return. And we want to come and we want to repent. And God wants us to repent. But the moment we start to repent, God says, that's it. I've already killed the cow and the band's warming up. Let's go. That, can can you grasp that picture of God? This is how we can love somebody else. If we realize, you remember what Bertie Britt said? We can't impress God. All of our deeds are but filthy rags. That doesn't mean we don't still do the deeds, but the deeds aren't what's going to save us. It's God and his grace. Can you receive this picture of God? Even though he squandered it all. God received him back. That is the picture that the heavenly father has for us. Even though we have squandered our inheritance, it's that kind of unconditional love. When we accept the kind of love in our own lives, apparently that's how God wants us to love others. When we correct our view of God, we can correct our view of ourselves and begin to love our neighbor. When I'm secure in the fact that God loves me, I can't remove that love. God loves me no matter what, then I can love me no matter what. And if I can love me no matter what, I can love my neighbor no matter what. Because a view of a loving God fosters loving people. Now, here's the argument. Pastor, doesn't that, doesn't the fact that God loves us no matter what, is that my free ticket to just go out here and sin and do whatever I want, live however I please? Because after all, God's going to love me. God's going to forgive me. I can see that theory. I've asked the same question before. But in fact, the opposite is true. I know that my wife Elizabeth loves me, not as I should be, but as I am. Is that an invitation for me to go out and have an affair? Does the fact that my wife loves me unconditionally as much as a human can, does that leave me to love her more or less? More. Why? To love her more because love calls forth love. And this isn't a new argument. Paul talked about it thousands of years ago in Romans chapter 6. He said, what shall we say then? Shall we continue to sin that grace may abound? What are we doing God a favor by sinning? Does anybody else see that? Should Should we sin just so God can pour out his grace? No. When we accept Christ, we make him Lord of our lives. We want to put away the old way. We want to put away the old way and root ourselves more fully in the love of God so that our love will be more evident to others. And here's another side note. Whenever you come across this picture of God who is based, if you get the correct picture of God, but it's based only on secondhand information, whether you're reading it in books, whether you see it on TV, you see it in other people, you even see it from this stage, you will never truly know God because you have got to get this individually. You can't live on your parents' love of God. You can't live on your pastors. You can't live on your spouses. All you'll wind up being is an unconvinced, unpersuasive travel agent handing out brochures to places you've never been. Did y'all catch that? I have got to teach my daughter how to love God on her own. Not based on me, not based on Elizabeth, but based on her relationship to the Father. 
That's my job as your pastor is to show you, you need the relationship. You, not your wife, not your husband. Well, they do need it, but you. I'm almost done. One pitfall. I've accepted the fact that God loves me, but I'm not always sure that God likes me. And I put this Christianity burden on my back. And it's all about the stuff that I have to do for God. And as a result, we wind up with two things. As a result, I get on this crazy roller coaster, this spiritual high and low, going through congratulating myself while beating myself down. What happens? On one hand, we become so proud of going through our moral checklist. Spent my quiet time today. Check. I I have this thing called a Pareto. And I do this. I have a checklist. First thing on my checklist, read Bible. Check. Pray. Check. One and two, and then all the other stuff I have to do. And sometimes I find a little glory in what I've done. Oh, I'm doing good. Look at that. I'm, I'm actually acting like a pastor. Praise God. Somebody be, somebody be proud of me. You know what Bertie Britt said? If your peace comes from reading your Bible, then the moment you stop reading your Bible, you're going to lose your peace. My peace has to be based on my relationship with God, not what I do. That was another thing. There were so many things in that sermon that just grasped grabbed me because I'm a slave to reading my Bible. That may sound funny. I'm not going to stop, but it doesn't have control over me. And it's not, if I forget to read, I'm not going to lose my peace. My peace is with God. God, my Bible reading is not Jehovah Shalom. God is Jehovah Shalom. So we can get too much. I've paid my tithe. I didn't cuss. I mean, I've had a great day and my halo gets a little tight. And it's, not, it's now about what I do for God, not what God's done for me. And we get puffed up. It's what Jesus called the Pharisees. On the other hand, we can be so devastated over the fact that we're inconsistent with our walk and we haven't lived up to God's expectations, let alone my expectations. And all we do is live a defeated life. I can't do anything right. I'm just beat myself up and I'm no use to the kingdom of God. Can I give you a very freeing statement? And I'll close with this. I can't do anything. I can't do anything. Won't y'all say that with me? I can't do anything. One more time. I can't do When I own the fact of my helplessness and my powerlessness before an almighty God. When I realize that I'm but just a spiritual peasant at the door of God's mercy. Then God can take me and make me into something beautiful. When I come to the grips that I'm from the dust of the earth and the breath of God's lungs. And one day I'm going to return to the dust of the earth. One day I'm going to return and I can strip away the mask of pride and arrogance, intelligence, charm, strength, beauty, whatever I use to command attention and respect and take the spotlight from me to God. When I own the fact that my best deeds, as Isaiah says, are but filthy rags, I can come to an all uh, to a majestic God an all knowing, all loving, all powerful, all sufficient savior. I can't do anything. That is not a defeating statement. That's an empowering statement. I am the least of these. 
I am absolutely convinced that nothing living or dead, angelic or demonic, today or tomorrow, high or low, thinkable or unthinkable, absolutely cannot get between me and God's love. I can't do anything to undo the love that God has for me. And when I'm secure in the fact that God loves me no matter what, I can love me no matter what. And if I can love me no matter what, then I can love my neighbor no matter what. Now here at Church on the Hill, we have such, we're such on a mission to change lives, to change our community, to change the world through compassionate love. We are on a mission to change the city. What does it look like? It looks like our people, it looks like showing love to everyday people in everyday situations. Maybe you see a single mom that is in an abusive relationship, scraping by on minimum wage, trying to raise a couple kids. It is everywhere you turn. Or maybe it's the grocery store clerk or the person you just bought a pair of shoes on that just that, that you just bought a pair of shoes from that needs to hear the love of God. What about the opportunities here at the church? We're trying to send people out to the nursing homes, to Bethesda or to the pigments over at Masters. Going to the rescue mission or the, crosses, the, the rescue mission, the Crosses Life Group are trying to feed the rescue mission. Or going to the Christmas parade and picking up trash. Some way to show love. We're striving to change our world. We've had Uganda in here. We've got kids to be a part of. We can go on missions trips. There are things to do. There are easy ways to show love. You know, we've planted a church in Uganda. We help orphans in Uganda. We help a school in Uganda. And you know, they're missing a whole generation. Kids are growing up without parents because of AIDS. God's calling us to help them. We help with a medical facility there. We've now been connected to South Africa with Bertie Britt. And we've also been connected to Ireland with Rob and Mark. Just this year. You can go on a missions trip. There are so many opportunities, but there are other ways. Just by your tithe. We support a mission called Crisis Pregnancy Center. And it allows girls, teenage girls that have made a horrible mistake in their life. See God's love. Not be condemned. Not be torn down because of their sin, but shown them that God loves them and that God wants them to choose life. And to break that power of fear and rejection and to pour love into them. Or the mustard seed ranch that is being able to show love to children that can't make it in their homes, that need to be delivered out of their homes. Right here in our church. And it's all based on a relationship with Jesus Christ. When we decide to be the change and to lead the change and to spread the change, we will see change come full circle. I think it's time for a group of people in this body of believers to stand up and say, I want more than trivial things in this world has to offer me. And more important than that, I don't want to just come to a church service. I want to be the church. Because here's the deal. Changing our community starts in the local church. It starts with being connected here. It starts with you inviting your friends to bring people here that need to hear the life-changing message of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. When we decide to be the change and to lead the change and to spread the change, we will see our city change.